0: This is the second of three bonus podcasts having to do with getting us ready at the close of the Old Testament canon and getting into the New Testament, the Berit the New Covenant. Now, in the last bonus podcast, I dealt with summarizing the 10 time periods, that is breaking down the Old Testament into bite-sized chunks. I pray that it was a blessing to you. But now I want us to deal with the fullness of time, that is dealing with those silent years. And let me say at the outset, there was a period of 400 years from the close of Malachi's message, which ended approximately 400 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and the time period that began what is called the New Covenant, the New Testament, with. The angel Gabriel appearing to Zechariah, Zachariah, the father of John the Baptist, as he was servicing his time period as a priest in the temple of the living God in Jerusalem. These are often called the silent years because there was no open prophetic word from God. And as a matter of fact, this is why we can have great sympathy for Zechariah, because he had not only had a word from God, but there hadn't been an open verbal or written prophet that had spoken In a period of 400 years, and uh, there had been a lot going on, but there had been no prophecies. And so during this period, they were waiting for the prophecies to be fulfilled concerning the Messiah. Well, we shouldn't even call these the silent years in the sin the truest sense of the word because many times we associate silence with inactivity. Certainly God was not inactive, God has never status, God is always moving, God always has direction. He is preparing, he's working. And that's exactly what he was doing. God was preparing the world for the coming of Jesus the Messiah. And he did that in several ways that I will highlight. And these are only some of the ways that God prepared for the coming of Messiah, his substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection after living a perfect life in obedience to his Father in heaven, ascending to heaven, and the gospel of the Son of God being preached around the world. All of that is called the fullness of time. Galatians 4, 4, and 5 says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now think about this. This is an incredible journey that we're about to go on. And so the prophecies were made about when Jesus would come. What the Messiah would look like, what he would say, where he'd be born, what they would say about him. All of these prophecies you can download off of my website, TonyCrisp.org. You can ask for them. I'll be happy to send them to you if you cannot download them. But I want us to look at ways in which God prepared for the coming of the Son of God. Well, first of all, during the period between when the temple was destroyed in 586 till it was rebuilt and consecrated in 516, the people were in exile in Babylon. And so the Jews were scattered throughout the earth, and they had no central worship system, and they did not want to forget the instruction of Torah, and so they began to meet in the communities where they lived, in, and to assemble, and they began to assemble in houses, and they built places, community centers. They would have been called in our day, but they were called Beit Knesset. The house of assembly, and they would uh, remember the instruction, of course, of Torah, what it was like when they lived in Jerusalem. They did not want to forget all the things that God had given to them, had blessed them. They did not want to be separated as families like had happened under the Assyrian deportation of most of the ten northern tribes. And so they tried to stay together so they could remember the great feast and festivals and all that God had asked them to do. And so the Beit Knesset was formed. That is the house of assembly. And everywhere there were Jews on the face of the earth, this custom spread, and the people would start getting together. And they got together on Shabbat, the sacred holy day. The rest of the time they were working, going about the business that was before them, raising their families and so forth. But every Shabbat they met in these houses of assembly called Beit Knesset. Now, this system was formed, it served a great purpose in that day, but it was going to even serve a greater purpose in the days ahead. And as you know, after the Persians, God raised up a man by the name of Alexander, who was the son of the great Macedonian king, King Philip. By the time that Alexander was 15, he had shown his great military genius and prowess. When his father was assassinated, then uh, he took over the army and moved swiftly to destroy anyone that would challenge him. He took over what was then Hellas, which is modern-day Greece, and he then set his sights on the east, and so he crossed the Dardanelles, he crossed the Hellespont, he crossed the Bosphorus River that separated two continents, uh, Asia and Europe, and he uh, began his conquest of the east by conquering what is modern-day Turkey, but was all of what was called Asia Minor. And as a matter of fact, in a period of three years, he went all the way to the borders of India, and uh, conquered all the way into Egypt and North Africa, all of what is Israel today, all of what is Jordan today, Saudi Arabia today, Iraq today, Persia, all of that he conquered in just a matter of three years. And everywhere that he went and conquered peoples, Alexander was of the belief that uh, the Greek culture, the Greek language, the Greek theater, everything that had to do with... Greece was the best in all of the earth and so he took his language, he took his culture, he took the theater, he took not only his war machine but everything that goes with that and so Koine Greek, common street language Greek became the common language of the day and the trade language called the lingua franca and was the way in which people communicated from any language they learned enough Greek to do commerce, much like what English is in our present-day world. No matter where you live, if you're going to do world commerce, you have to be able to communicate in English if you're going to trade with the world, because it is the world currency that is the dollar, the uh, American dollar, and it is the official language of America, which is the world leader and the trade language of the day. And so that's what Greek was, and so the Beit Knesset, which was the Hebrew term and the Hebrew language for these houses of assembly that were everywhere, in Greek those same places were called synagogas, and we make that English synagogue. So the synagogue system was set up during the Persian period. Started with the Babylonians, it was solidified during the Persian period, and renamed. During the Greek period and really got its foothold in all of the world so that everywhere Jewish people were, and they were everywhere in the Greco-Roman world, there were uh, synagogues, and there was one now uh, world language. Well, as you know, No kingdom except God's kingdom will last forever. And so Alexander died at age 33. Yes, as a young man, he had four primary generals and those generals divided up the kingdom. Now, the two that I want to center in on, and one in particular would be Seleucus, who reigned all over what is uh, Iraq today, what would be Syria today, what would be the Saudi Arabian Peninsula. And all of that. So he controlled all of that. Lebanon, that area was under Seleucus. A man by the name of Ptolemy, it's spelled P T O L E M Y. Uh, Ptolemy. He was uh, the one who took over Egypt, that great empire, ancient empire, and North Africa. The land in between as always been the land in between, the continent of Africa and Asia, was the land of Israel. And uh, what was southern Syria, Israel, what would have been that area of the Sinai Peninsula, all of that was the land in between the two continents of Africa and Asia. And it was the land bridge, and so it was fought over. So the Greeks of Seleucus uh, had it part of the time, then the dynasty of Ptolemy from Egypt would have it part of the time, and so they warred back and forth, and a lot went on during this time. This is when the period of the Hasmoneans, the Maccabeans, all of this took place during this Greek period, all the way down to 63 B.C., when another power from the west began to rise with great. Great, great, fury, and it was the empire of Rome. In 63 B.C., Pompey, who was one of the great generals and leaders of Rome, marched into the land of Israel, and it would never be the same from that time on. And you can look at your maps and see where the administration of Rome went, but everywhere that Rome went, it was so powerful that it ensured peace wherever they were. They would put down any rebellion, they ruled with an iron And so the period of peace that came about during the time after the Roman wars, which I'll talk about in just a moment, was called the Pax Romana. That is the Peace of Rome but before they could get to that Pax Romana there were fighting among themselves you see at the death of Julius Caesar the Republic of Rome was taken over by his grand nephew Octavian whom in his will he adopted as his son Octavian was joined by two men one that you're very familiar with Mark Antony and another by the name of Lepidus which we won't deal with right now but Mark Antony basically took over the eastern Empire, all of what was Egypt, Israel, that uh, Eastern Empire. He took over what Seleucus, as well as Ptolemy, would have had. And then Octavian ruled over all of what was uh, Greece and Rome and the area of Turkey and so forth. All of that was fluid back and forth between uh, Octavian and uh, Mark Antony. Well, the last of the Ptolemaic uh, dynasty was still in great power in Egypt, even though they had been conquered. Now, the last of the Ptolemaic dynasty was not a man. It was a woman. It was not a king. It was a queen. Her name was Cleopatra. She had been the lover of the Roman Caesar, Julius, and uh, had had a child by him. As a matter of fact, she could not have the child naturally. And so when it came time for her to have the child, they cut open her stomach and took the child, and they named him. Caesarean, and ever since that day, ever since that procedure, when a child is taken from a woman's belly instead of through the natural uh, means of the birth canal, uh, it is called a Caesarean, a Caesarean procedure, uh, just like in the days of Cleopatra and Julius Caesar. Well, as was the case, Mark Antony fell in love just as Julius Caesar had done with Cleopatra, and so much was he in love with her that he formed a league with her, and to make a long story short, they wanted to uh, rule, Octavian wanted to rule, and so east and west clashed, that is, the east and west empire of Rome, the Republic of Rome, which was not yet called the Roman Empire. And so the forces of Octavian, Julius Caesar's now adopted son, his grandnephew, and Cleopatra and Mark Antony went to war and it was a great naval battle off the coast of Actium in 31 B.C., and the forces of Octavian thoroughly routed the forces of Cleopatra and of Mark Antony. And both of them fled back to Egypt. Both of them took their lives. And Octavian was now solidly in the seat of the emperor, of the Caesar. And it wasn't long till his name was changed from Octavian unto August. Why? Because he was the exalted one. The word August means exalted one. So he was called Augustus, not Octavian Caesar, but Augustus Caesar. Well, as he consolidated Rome, he increased the army. As the army marched their way from one country to another and supply lines and logistics were set up, they had to establish Roman roads. And so you had the Great Appian Way, the Ignatian Way. All of these great roads were established and maintained by Roman soldiers, and uh, these roads uh, were so solidly built and engineered that my wife and I, on many occasions, in Greece and Italy, Turkey, Israel we have seen these roads we've been on these roads we've stood and walked on these roads and those roads are still in existence today and that's how great was the engineering and uh, this cost a lot of money when you uh, go in and take over a nation to occupy that nation takes a lot of money not only was there money being expended for that from the Roman uh, coffers but also Octavian now Augustus he loved horse racing, so he built the great Circus Maximus and expanded it, the chariot racing arena there in uh, Rome. And between uh, the Circus Maximus and the Great Forum, on the Palatine Hill. There were the Aventine Hill, the Palatine Hill. There were other hills, seven hills in Rome upon which it was built. But the Palatine Hill uh, lay between the Forum and the Circus Maximus. And so he built a huge, huge home there. The ruins are still there today. It is massive, more than you could ever imagine. And still to this day, when a large home is built upon a hill, it's called a palace. That was after the great house of Octavian Augustus that was built upon the Palatine Hill. It was the first palace as such. And so everywhere that the Roman soldiers went, everywhere that they maintained occupation, it cost money and everything costs money. His lavish lifestyle money to maintain order money, to support the great army, money. And so Caesar went to the Senate of Rome and said, we must take a census of all the people so that we can tax them. And so, yes, that's what happened. There went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Now, this taxing was first made when Corinius was governing Syria, and all went to be taxed every one unto his own city. Now, in Nazareth, there lived a man by the name of Joseph, and he was betrothed to a woman whose name was Mary. And the days came about that they made their way up out of the city of Nazareth, out of the Galilee, into Judea, into the city of Bethlehem. And the reason was, that was their ancestral home, and everyone had to go to his ancestral city, the city of their fathers, so that they could register in the census that they made Might be taxed according to their family lineage. And so while they went to Bethlehem, the days came to completion when Mary was to have her child. And so Mary brought forth her firstborn son, and she did that while in a stable. She laid her firstborn son in a manger after wrapping him in swaddling clothes. And according to what the angel had said, this son's name was called, not Joseph, after his father. Because, you see, Joseph wasn't his father. His father was God himself. And so he was called Yeshua, Yeshua, which means salvation. God saves. And so now you know the story. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son when the world was ready. When everything was in place, God sent Jesus into the world. And now, everywhere after his death, burial, and resurrection, and his ascension to heaven, everywhere that his apostles went, those sent with a message of salvation went. They had wonderful Roman roads to walk on. And every city they went into, there was a Jewish congregation there, once called the House of Assembly, Beit Knesset, now renamed in the Greek language, the Synagogos, the synagogue, they had a preaching point. And no one was to bother them from the standpoint of uh, not allowing them to travel freely because there was the peace of Rome. And everyone where they went spoke the Greek language, so now they, being Aramaic speakers, knowing Hebrew and knowing Greek, they could go anywhere in the world and preach the message of Jesus. And that's why the New Testament was written in this language that was the common language of all the world, in the fullness of time. For On the Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On the Way with Tony Crisp.